Okay, Pastor Tom said we were going to talk about dating and marriage and sex. Actually, we're going to talk about tithing. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Only joking. Why, why do we need to study this? Or who needs to study it? I'll tell you who needs to study it. Everybody. Absolutely everybody. We all do. Have you got children? Well, then you need to know how to guide your children in terms of who to marry and who not to marry, all the more importantly. If you've got grandchildren, then they're going to be coming, hopefully, to you and asking you for advice as a Christian grandfather, a Christian grandmother. Who should I marry? What should I do? If you've got disciples, those disciples may well be single. And you need to know about dating, about marriage, and all that sort of stuff so you can help them. Look at me. Don't get distracted by your notes yet. We've got a ways to go. We really do need two sessions. So whatever you're doing tonight, cancel it. I'm serious. You cannot afford to miss this. This is too important. It will affect everything. Your life, your business, your career, your future, your marriage, everything. It's that important. Choice and marriage. Who do I choose in marriage? Half the problem is we put those two things together much more sooner than we should. Choice is one thing. And the way you make choices, that's one thing. Marriage is a, is a separate issue. And until we learn to separate the two and understand the mechanisms I'm actually using to make choices, get a bit of self-understanding, I am not really mature enough to make a decision about marriage. Okay? There's a, a little bit to go yet. A little bit of self-understanding to get yet. Choice first understand myself how and why I make the choices I make and then we can look at marriage and that's what I want to do today so this morning is about choice marriage yes but choice predominantly and tonight I want to talk about marriage business also but marriage <coughs> predominantly we start out in life by thinking that we make choices and by the time you get to around your 50s you realize the choices made you. You look back and it's not actually funny. <laughs> it's scary. You look back and you suddenly realize the things you did, they made you into the person you are emotionally, practically. The choices made you. They formed you. And it becomes so much more serious then, later. And it's a blessing if you can get that early on. You know, they say you are what you eat. Well, you are what you eat. If you eat an apple, you know, or whatever, it dissolves into your body and it becomes your nails, your fingers, your hair. You literally are what you eat. Your body, the cells in your body change. Well, you are the decisions, the choices that you have made and others have made, but that's what you are. Now, your upbringing and your culture <laughs> greatly affect the choices you make. So, I mean, I couldn't overstate that. Your upbringing and your culture have enormous effect on the choices you make. And let me give you an example to explain what I mean by that. A little while ago, we were in here on Saturday afternoon. I don't know what we were doing. Some sort of an event was on or something. And there was a group of about 20 Malaysian, Chinese Malaysian students here. And we finished whatever we were doing and everybody goes outside and I'm locking up the door. And standing outside are these 20 Chinese students and one Scottish girl. And someone in the crowd says, what are we going to do now? 
And one of the students says, you know, why don't we go to Starbucks or something like that and we'll have a cup of coffee? And everybody says yes. But the Scottish voice in the middle of the crowd said, I've got shopping to do. That little or whatever. And started taking ten paces in the other direction. And one of the students said, oh, but, but we're all going for coffee. And the Scot said, yeah, and I'm going for shopping. <laughs> and there was an, a, a, an inability to comprehend, but <laughs> I don't get it. How, how, they didn't say this, but it, it, was, it was the decision-making process. You see, it was the, bit, the, the way people make choices. It was a culture clash. You see, within an Asian community, you know what it's like. Decisions, choices are most often collective. So the most natural thing was to go with the consensus of the group. But nothing could be further from the truth from, for the Scot. <laughs> right? She's making her own. Now, let me stress, nobody's doing anything wrong. Nobody's doing anything wrong. It's just a lack of understanding about the dynamics taking place. But it very quickly turned to almost judgment. You're going for coffee? Are you going for shopping? You see, that girl never came back. She had been with us for about six months or a year even. She never came back because she felt judged for her decision, her choice. And the group, though they were perfectly within their rights to make a collective decision, and they'll probably be happier for it, they just didn't understand quite the dynamics. You see, culture affects choice at every level. And the sooner you realize that, the more safe you are to actually make choices. Now, I've worked a lot with Americans. We brought loads of American teams in to Ireland. And they used to arrive off the plane, you know, big groups of them, 10, 20 of them. And if you take a group of Americans anywhere, say I took them into Glasgow City and I've got 20 Americans in front of me and I say, right, we all meet back here in one hour. Voof, 20 different directions. They're all gone. They're all doing what they individually want to do. Now, you get a group of pan-Asians, generally speaking, most Asian countries, and you stick 20 Asians together, meet it back in an hour. Well, what's everybody else doing? Um, <laughs> what do you want to do? It may not be you know, one whole group, but it could probably dissolve into two or three, right? I just want you to see... You may think that your culture and your upbringing does not affect your choices. You're wrong. Your upbringing greatly affects your choices. And it affects marriage choice. And I'm about to explain why. You see, the, the problem starts... The, 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 the biblical principles that oversee choices, the biblical principles that govern choice, should govern every choice. The same principles should govern all my choices. The problem starts when I begin to compartmentalize my choices. And this is a very common thing. For example, if you're going to buy a car and you've never bought a car before and you don't know anything about cars, what would you do? You would find someone who knew about cars. You would find someone who knew what price you should be paying for a car like that. And everybody would say, amen, that's the right thing to do. In other words, there's principles that govern how to make a wise decision. But I have found with many people, they are very wise on every decision except marriage. I will take advice. I will listen. 
I will seek out every, except on this one thing, and it becomes like the Holy Grail, you know? And that's a massive mistake, because if there's any decision that you need to get advice on, surely it's this one, amen? Absolutely. So that fundamental, you know, mistake within our decision-making and our thinking leads to eventual problems with the choices that we make. And I want to come at it this morning from the angle of presumptions. It's the second page on your notes. The second page. The presumptions that we make about choice help us to maybe self-correct and start to put things right with the way we are making our choices. All of these assumptions, by the way, are wrong. So let's start with number one. If a choice, assumption number one, if a choice affects me, I should be the one that makes it. True or false? (laughs) False. If a choice affects me, I should be the person that makes it. And people will think that because they'll think, well, how else can I be sure that I'll be happy with the outcome? How else can I be sure that I'll be happy with the outcome if I don't make the choice myself? Well, let me explain why. Look at me a moment. You should make a choice yourself if that choice only affects you. If the only person in the world affected by your choice is you, go right ahead. Make it yourself. So, like, what socks am I going to wear this morning? I don't need to sit Jeanette down last night and say, look, I've got to choose a pair of socks. We've we got, we got to pray about this. That's, that's a choice that has absolutely no effect on anybody whatsoever. So I can pick up my socks and put them on. No reference to anybody. Because I'm the only one affected by it. But if the choice I'm making has any effect on other people, then I would be foolish not to at least consult or involve those people. And this is where the cultural dynamics really kick in. You see, we live in a world that is absolutely bombarding you with multiple choice. Every day, in every way, and when it comes to choosing a partner for marriage, it's not much different. And I really don't think it's helpful. It's, I mean, it's largely emanated out of America. I don't know if you've ever been for a meal with Americans. Oh, I'm not picking on Americans. I like Americans. But goodness me, I, I, I've traveled a lot in America. And in, in my first few occasions in sitting in a restaurant, it was an eye-opener. I'd never experienced that before. The, you know, you sit around with five or six people around the table. The menu comes. The waiter comes. What are you having? Um, I'll have the chicken. Fine. And then they turn to the American. What are you having? Now, here we go. You need patience. I see you've got, like, uh, you know, spaghetti bolognese. Yeah. What type of spaghetti is that? (laughs) And then, okay, what type of sauce do you use? Okay. Do you use tomatoes? What type of tomatoes? Where do you get them from? How long? Are they flat? Have you got mushrooms? And it goes on. I'm thinking, I'm hungry. Why don't you just have the bolognese if you want it? You know? And the, the, the level of meticulous picking and choosing is, listen, when I grew up, when I came home from school, I'm going to start now, I tell you, (laughs) when I grew home from school, my mother used to walk in with a plate with something on it called food. (laughs) And you know what you did? You ate it. You ate it. And I don't know what I mean. It, it, it had a name. I'm sure it had a name. It was probably called something. It was actually very nice. We had it every week, whatever it was. There used to be buckets full of it. It was very nice. I ate it, right? And I enjoyed it. And it, 
that was nice. But today's world, what, you know, so many kids go home now, they sit down, what do you want for dinner? Ah, well, I don't know. And all of a sudden, the child, rather than having been given, is bombarded with these choices, choices, choices. And they say, well, I want this. Oh, no, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I actually want that. No, no, no. Change it again. I don't want that. I want this. And you know what happens? In the end, the mum comes out with exactly what you chose. And that child looks at it, gets the fork, sticks it in it, looks at it, and I don't think I really want this, mum. You see, is the person who's choosing exactly what they want happy? Very often, this is the funny thing about life, especially the Christian life. Most often, you know, the worst thing I could give you is what you're asking for. Because it will keep you like a baby. Most often, the worst thing to happen you right now is the very thing you want to happen. It's, you know, maturity is a strange thing. And that child is actually not happy because the child is not able, not mature enough to make proper decisions and it's thrust upon them too early. And so they end up disappointed. It would actually be better if mum made that decision, to be honest with you. But we don't live in that sort of world anymore. You see, now you can see why this is important when it comes to marriage. Because if you're going to insist on being, say, westernized in your marriage choice, like the girl who says, I'm going to do exactly what I'm going to do. Now, that girl probably went shopping. Fine, no problem. But I tell you something, she probably would have had a better time if she'd gone with the group and had a, some fellowship. Wouldn't you agree? I think so. You can do your shopping later, can't you? Why don't you have some fellowship with your brothers and sisters? So very often, even though it's our first instinct, it's the way we've been raised. I will do what I mean, try and take choice off America. You know what I mean? You're not going to get it. They're not going to give it up. And we're raised to think. She's raised to think. My choice is right. Don't try and, you know, mess with my liberty. Well, nobody's messing with your liberty. You see, if, if you take that westernized type attitude and you apply it to marriage, there's big trouble. Big trouble. Because, first point, if a choice affects me, then I should be the person to make it. Well, if you're the one alone who makes the choice for who you marry, then you must be in, think you're infallible, you know? What happens if you get it wrong? You are able to get it wrong. And that's where other people come in. That's why you consulted other people about that car. That's why you sought outside advice and outside help, as much of it as you could get, and that was a wise thing to do. But people barricade themselves into this choice. And that's a problem. It's a very, very big problem. Now, when I'm going to buy a car, I will seek advice of someone who knows about cars. And when you're, going, when you're going to marry a man, girls, listen to me, you better bring that man and get the opinion of another married man. Not your boyfriend. Not, sorry, not your friends who are boys, not your girlfriends in college or whatever. You need the opinion of an older married man who knows what he's looking for had a couple come to me not a couple married just a boy girl relationship began to kick off and these two guys came to me and said look we like each other you know we love each other blah 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 would you tell us what to do from here and they had been going out without telling me for a little bit of time and as I sat and looked at them (laughs) 
she's saying, he loves me. He loves me. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't think so, kid. <laughs> and I, I'd let them talk away and, and listen to them and watch the body language. There's all sorts of signs, you know. And in the end, I said to the girl, would you mind just leaving us alone for a moment? Just leave me with him. And I could see him go, no, no, don't go. Just leave us alone a minute. And that girl went away. And I turned to that guy and I said, I changed my attitude. <laughs> and I said, if you break her heart, I'm going to break your neck. <laughs> right? And he said, I'm not going to break her heart. I, I, I think we're in love. No, I don't see love in you. I don't see love in you for her at all. I don't see it. I'm sorry. Uh, by the way, you, you may pull the wool over her eyes. You may give her a bunch of flowers. You may still But you won't pull the wool over my eyes. You won't charm me with the same, because I know what it is to be in love. And I know what the signs are in a man. And right now, my friend, I don't see any of those signs. So what are we going to do about this? He actually dropped that relationship within about two weeks. Didn't think much of that girl then, did he? You need someone who knows what they're looking for and who knows the signs. You need someone who, you know, if you're going to buy a car, you need a mechanic. Welcome, brother. You're going to be baptized next week. Amen. I thought you'd gone back home. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. So we can all come now next, next Saturday, 4 o'clock. This guy's got an excellent testimony, so please come. Hallelujah. You need someone who knows what they're looking for in the man. You need other advice before you start making choices of that degree of importance, right? It's crucial, guys. I've done loads. You know I've done more weddings than any pastor. I know. And that involves lots of premarital counsel and everything else. And very rare do you ever tell people they should get married. I actually told Henry to get married just so you can... They, you know, we did about six weeks marriage counsel with them, you know. And Suyin was thinking, do I, don't I, do I? Henry was thinking, well, I think we should, I think we should. And they, they were all over the place with about what should we do and when should we do it. But after five, four or five weeks of looking at Henry and looking at Suyin, I said to Suyin, would you go away a minute? I said, Henry, do you know what? And I'm, thank God I didn't have to say what I said to the other guy. You should marry her. Because I could tell the signs. I could see in him feelings and emotions and sacrifice ready, the same as I feel for Jeanette. I could see in him. Suyin came to me last week in the evening here. And she said, I've got something to tell you. Henry is an excellent husband. He's turned out really good. And we are very happy. Very, very happy. Daniel is a, is a blessing to us. And I just want to tell you, it's good. I thought, praise God. Now, it's difficult to get over the line sometimes. And I can understand how people maybe don't know, should I marry, should I not? It's a massive, massive decision to make. And if we can get help from other people in that, that's a great encouragement. I had a lot of help before I married Jeanette. I, obviously, I, it's, it's more difficult for me because I'm in a public role. And that, that's very, very difficult. But one of the elders, a mature man, an older man, made an appointment to see me one day. I didn't know what it was about. I go in and he says, you marry her. I was like, okay, <laughs> right. I took Jeanette home. She's the only girl I ever brought home. Took her home to my mother. Sat her down in the city. You know the story. And then I, didn't, I was getting off the train in Dublin. And my phone rang. It was my mother. Marry that girl. Marry that girl. You hear me? And I know my mother very well. I was the last one to leave home. So I'd seen all the rest 
get married, and I knew how unusual that was. That is enormously encouraging to me that I'm on the right track. Amen? It's mature counsel. And you need to start thinking differently for all your choices, but particularly, it's our topic today, is marriage. And let me just throw a little aside in here. This same principle about making choices yourself and thinking that's what makes you happy is wrong. Because it's not true unless that choice only affects you. So it sucks. It only holds true when the choice only affects me. Choices that affect other people need to be made collectively or I will not enjoy life to the same degree. This same principle, as much as it affects individuals, it also affects cultures. Two weeks ago, I was in another country, I won't say which country, working with a group of leaders in a particular church, and they had a particular problem. Would you help us with this fact? The fact was this. They're a group of about 25 people. They're all Chinese. The country is not China. (laughs) It's a European country. Nobody comes. Nobody joins. We've been sitting looking at each other for six years. What's wrong? I said, well, it's blatantly obvious to me what's wrong. You've established a cartel here, right? That's what you've done. Are you happy with it? No. I'm not surprised you're not happy. Just like an individual or the boy with his chips, you're not going to be happy with it. That's not what you were made for. No culture should stand alone. Remember what we said a few weeks ago. If you leave a culture alone, that culture will become selfish, self-centered, and ultimately bored with each other. Because there's a whole dynamic in the world out there. And we need to break up this cozy little group and actually make it the church, which is from all nations. And that's going to require sacrifices and give and take on your part. And we're going to revisit that in June next year, actually, for that church to reestablish itself on better foundations. So uh, this choice thing, this being individualistic in your choices in life, it can lead to unhappiness in later life. But it's just as true of a cultural group if they end up in isolation. They think they want it, but actually they don't. You know? People are hard to please, aren't they? Amen? So the first thing, if a choice affects me, I should be the one to make it. Fine, if you're the only one it affects. But as soon as someone else is affected by that choice, you should be looking to bring other people into the equation. Assumption number two, the more choices I have, the more likely I am to make the right choice. Wrong. Completely wrong. In fact, there's been many studies done on that very point. The more choices people have, actually, the worse choices they make, which is why dating is a bad idea. You know? I went out with Sally, I went out with this, I went out with that, I went out. It's not a good idea. Not a good idea. Because the more choices, this is really, you know, it's just not a God thing. You, you can end up making, as many do, you can end up making the, the wrong choice because you're unprepared for the selection. Last time I had to buy a printer. I remember I went down and, you know, going to PC World and, the, and there's this aisle and there must be about 40 printers. And I'm thinking, heavens above, what are you supposed to do? I am totally unprepared for the choice. And I'm, if I'm not careful... I'm just about to pay too much <laughs> and leave with something I don't actually want. And a young man comes along and says, can I help you? Yes, please. You're exactly what I need. And guide you through a process. And the same principles apply to buying a printer. Excuse me, girls, I don't mean this in any derogatory sense. The same principles apply to buying a printer as if you like choosing a wife. Um, 
He said to me, the first thing you need to think about, sir, is what are your needs? The second thing you need to think about is what price bracket are we looking, what sort of quality are we looking at here? This is going the wrong way. <laughs> and the third thing you want to look at is speed. How, how many copies do you want a minute? Those were three very, very, very good criteria for choosing a printer. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, think about it. He said to me, what are your needs? Well, that's very important. We'll, we'll do this tonight. Because whatever woman I marry, take it, uh, use me as an example. I've got needs. I've got, I've, God's first in my life. Amen. So I'm looking this way, and God says, I, need, I want of you A, B, C. Will any woman who comes along better be able to help me, help me, easier connecto, help me meet those needs that God has put upon me? She's got to fit the bill. She's got to be able to go through that. And personally, I've got to sit with my girlfriend, fiance, or whatever, and make some very hard decisions. What are we going to do together, kid? Are we going to get married and have a family and settle down and have a picket fence and roses? Or is it going to be some mad career dash? That's okay if you're going to go for a career. Or are we going into ministry? Which of these paths do we think we're being led into? And then we need to make some hard decisions. There's a sign actually in the garage in Versden, And it says, I want it all. <laughs> it's for Christmas. Little kids, you know. What do you want for Christmas? I want everything. I want the whole world and everything in it. That's a child talking. That's a child talking. That is absolute immaturity. You can't have everything. Because the Bible talks. The Bible talks. Listen to me. That's a good, it's, a, it's an okay question. I'll tell you why. Because the Bible talks about apostles, pastors. They don't do everything. It talks about skilled workers, it talks about laymen, it talks about full-time ministers, right? There's a whole parameter there for you to discover. It doesn't say one man will do all, does it? So each goes to their own, the field that they're gifted in or called to. And that's why that first one is so important. Whoever I marry has got to be able to, as I, otherwise I'm setting myself up for a disaster, Right? God will overrule any woman. You marry the wrong woman, and in five years' time, and this is what, I won't go there this morning because it's heartbreaking, because I meet them all the time. They make the decision when they're 20, and they're still trying to get back into ministry when they're 50. And they've got the rest of their lives to regret it, because God wasn't first. It's a very serious thing, a terrible thing. So the first thing in your life is God. Amen. Sure? <laughs> and whatever woman enters your life needs to help you meet the needs of God. She's the helpmate. She's the Ezer Connecto. And God remains first. There's no other thing. That's your Genesis and that's your Revelation. This thing's not going to shift. The second thing was price bracket. I don't know how quite that fits in. And the, and the third is, is speed, being able to move together. If two can't walk together, you're not going to be agreed. So it is, a good, it's, it is quite a good criteria. Second point. The more choices I have, the more likely I am to make the right choice wrong. The more choices you have, the more confused you're going to get. And statistics actually show categorically that people end up making poorer choices the wider the selection set before them. Why? Because they're just not prepared for the onslaught that the current world that we live in puts onto them. 
They're just not ready for it, so it confuses them, and they end up missing the very thing they should see. That's why other people should be involved, because they will see what you can't see. Right, Henry? <laughs> they will see what you can't see. And when I looked at Henry, do you know what I thought? They'll have a rough two years, and then it'll be okay. And about six, seven weeks ago, Henry stood up here with Suyin and said it very tough for the first two years. Now it's okay. You see? I'm just saying, I could see that. I could see that in him. You need counsel. You need to ask people about your choices. And you girls, don't be fooled by any charmer because they're all over the place. Why does someone want to marry you? Why? I want to know why. I want to see that that man, a man should, should love her, his wife as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. For her. And if I can't see that, then, hey, you're not ready for marriage because you don't know what choices you're making or why. So you begin to see how choices actually do affect everything, how our cultures can, can dominate our choices, and we're not even aware of it. The third assumption, I should never say no to choice. If there's a choice to be made, I should make it. I should be the one. I'm going to lead my life. My life's going to lead me and all that sort of stuff. Danger. There are many times, I shared with you a few weeks back, I was very rebellious for the first five years in ministry. Those, minis those years produced next to nothing. But I had a conversion experience and became the opposite. I actually swung to the other end of the extreme because I found something out. I understood something about obedience and choices. And I, as I shared, I think it's about 14 years now. And I haven't made any decisions for myself. <laughs> Surprise you. <laughs> but I haven't, you see. I will ask my oversight. And if they say no, it's no. And that happens all the time. It's just I've got used to it. So if I'm going to do something, I will email my overseer, which is Shane, and he will either say yes or no. He will not hear one word from me if he says no. I will not complain. I will get on with my work because I know that I am a servant, a soldier in an army. I know that there is a God in, in head of this church. And I am not the captain or the general. I am a foot soldier in the army. Now, what kind of soldier does what he wants? You know what I mean? What kind of soldier is that? Not one I want to work with. So I have learned that any success, forgive me for using that word, but you know what I mean. True success is that which God will receive. True success is only the things I do that are actually acceptable and receivable by God under the cover of his church. So get used to it. And you sign up. I'm a full-time minister. That's my job. I sign up to obey my leaders. I was with Pastor Ray Belfield this week. He's 80 years old now. He was the superintendent for Assemblies of God for the whole of the UK for 21 years. And he's an amazing character. Absolutely. Spends six months of the year traveling the world. Today, at 80. At 80. Going to church after church after church. And Ray was telling me, at 80 years old, he'd just come from a meeting in Singapore where some of the directives were being given out for what needs to happen in the nations. And he says, I was walking out of the meeting and there was a young man beside me. And the young man turned to me and said, hey, hey Pastor Ray, what do you think of the instructions we've just been given? 
And Ray turned to him and said, boy, <laughs> I'm not paid to think. I'm paid to obey what I've been told to do. You got your instructions too. Get on with your work, I'll get on with mine. But of course, the young man knows better, eh? 80 years old. And I thank God that I understand that now. And I'm not 80 yet, praise the Lord. <laughs> but I had to learn that the hard way. I learned that the, the real truth is that we are in an army. And we do need to learn submission. Last point. I should never say no to choice. No. Absolutely not. There's plenty of times that it's better that someone else makes the decision that you're so determined to make yourself. There are plenty of times when the decision, look at me, listen to me, please. All I can do is say it. And then you go ahead and do what you choose. There will be plenty of times when the decision that someone else makes will make you happier for the rest of your life. And there'll be plenty of times if you insist on my way, there'll be plenty of times that the end result will prove to actually make you unhappy because you were rebellious or insubmissive or unteachable. And you can make those mistakes at all levels, but you don't want to make it on marriage, that's for sure, or ministry. There are plenty of choices that you should not make yourself. Let me give you an example. This is a sad example, and it's a true example. In America, they got together the families, the, the, the mother and father from 10 families who all gave birth to a premature child. In each of these families, the premature child was put on a life support machine, but the damage done to the child was too great. And to try and recoup it was, uh, it just wasn't going to be, you know, probable or possible. So in each of the American families, they got them together and with each couple they said, you tell us when you want us to turn the life support machine off. It's your choice. And the couples had to go away week after week and think, do we tell them today to turn the life? Do we switch the life off? For our own child? What do we do? And in each of the ten families, they came to the decision on a certain day to go to the hospital and say, turn it off. And the study went to France, where there were ten other couples in identical circumstances, all premature babies and all in life support machines, except there was a difference. In France, the doctors make the decision, not the parents. It's a different law. So in France, the parents were, were one day told, next week we have decided that we're going to turn the life support machine off on your child. And the study that they did with these two sets of parents was this. They gathered together the American parents after two years. And they got them together and they said, how do you feel now about the choice you made then? And the American parents said, by and large, we have been crucified by that decision. Every day, we quiz ourselves. We wake up in the night thinking, should we or shouldn't we? Should we have turned it off? Maybe some new cure would have been found. Maybe if we just waited another month, our son or our daughter would have lived. It is the worst thing that has ever... How did they get us to say that? How did the hospital get us to, to say, turn it off? Okay. Whew. 
And then they went to France. And they got those parents together. And they said, you didn't make the choice, did you? No. The hospital made the choice. How do you now feel about what happened? And the French parents said, look, what happened, happened. It's a tragedy. It's sad. But it is past. And we've moved on. Maybe some had new children now, other children. That's a tragedy. And I thank God for that child, but the child didn't live. The level of happiness from those who allowed someone else to make the choice, just in that scenario, was vastly different. And yet the interesting thing is, when they asked the American parents, they said to the American parents, would you consider the French system? Every one of them said no. (laughs) Every one of them could not imagine a world where they didn't make their own choices. They still would want to choose to turn that machine off themselves. So deeply ingrained is this thing within our culture, that they couldn't let it go. I just want you to see, folks, it's not just in that type of situation, but in a thousand situations, choices are often best made for a happy outcome by other people, or at least that other people be involved. My fear is that we live in a world that forces upon you multiple choice all day, every day. And I don't think you're prepared for it. I don't think I'm prepared for it. Multiple choice promises you everything and yet actually delivers so little. And the little it does deliver, sadly, can disappoint. There's no better way to go about this than the biblical way. We'll look at choosing a partner tonight, choosing a marriage partner tonight. How do you do that? So you can instruct your children, instruct your grandchildren Instruct your disciples. Don't miss it. Come back here at 6.30 tonight and we'll look at this in more detail about what God's will actually is in Scripture and how we find it. But let me close with this example. There was a famous pianist. This is also a true story. A famous pianist traveled the world doing concerts, etc., etc. And he had a daughter who was also an accomplished pianist. And the daughter began to get better and better and she began to get tuition from another person. And one day, another musician was with this man who's now elderly and was saying to him, can I ask you a question? I mean, you're a world-famous pianist. You're fantastic. And your daughter, she's quite good. And she's getting trained. But I just can't understand why is she being trained by him? Why isn't she being trained by you? And the sad answer came back, because she never asked me. She didn't ask. And you find that when people don't ask about the choices they're going to make, about the decisions they're making, when people don't ask, there's three big reasons why. And the first is pride, because they are determined maybe that daughter wants to get one over competition, one over on her father. Pride. The second is fear, because she may be afraid of not, you know, fear when people are defensive about their decisions, it's because they're frightened they're not going to get their own way. And the third is independence. Just plain old simple rebellion and independence. We cannot afford to make these mistakes. We can't. And the assumptions that you and I make as a Westerner about the choices I make can ruin my life 
and they are just plain assumptions. And tonight we'll look at the other side of this, which is the Bible side. If a choice affects me, I should make it myself? No. Only if you're the only one it affects. The more choices I have, the better choice? No, not true. You could end up confused, and that's where the whole world system of dating is, is incredibly problematic. And you should never say no to choice? No. The older I get, the less choices I make. And the happier I seem to be. Funny thing, isn't it? Living in the world, if you don't read your Bible. And it hasn't changed. So be careful. 6.30, we'll look at part two. Let me invite the worship team. Just bow your heads if the worship team could come back. Father, we, we take these things to heart and we take them very seriously. Would you help us to mature our thinking and mature our decision-making to a place where our choices are lined up with your will? God, help us. Help everyone present and all those on radio not to make foolish decisions, rash decisions, fast decisions. And help us to look at Scripture. Help us to realize we have a heavenly Father so keen, so ready to guide us, to guide us if only we would listen. Let's just stand to our feet and just take a moment to commit your choices and your future to God.